to the world of M.W. Lewis. So, I did not stick to the plan and put out uh, two additional episodes in July. Just too much going on. Too many things swirling around my head to, to be focused on uh, the stuff that's most important in life, which is role-playing games, Dungeons & Dragons, and stories. But now I have a little time here on Friday, August 4th, to reflect and talk about some stuff going on in the gaming world and to throw in some quick readings. So in today's episode, I'll be doing returning us to the world of Aiden's, the Monday night AD&D game, and do a little reading from the party's journey from Dark Shelf East to Highport and some of the adventures they got into on the way. And I also discussed before that reading why I throw in some of those uh, side adventures. There, there is a strategy for it. It's not just random, all random rolling and encounters. You, a, a DM should consider strategies of when and why to throw in side adventures when you're running a, a larger story arc. As we were, we were running the A series of modules, but we ended up having lots of side adventures during it, and I'll, I'll explain my strategy for that. Then I'm going to do a reading from The Sword of Cassanta, my novel, my 150,000 word novel that I will be shaping up and trying to publish sometime in the next six months or so. But before I get to all that, let's talk about Dungeons and & Dragons and Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. And when you play the old game, uh, Basic or First Edition, it is a deadly game. It's a deadly game for the low-level characters. Every encounter for a first-level character can result in death. And we have restarted the Monday Night Game back in May. That's been well-documented on my podcast. And the players are struggling, some of the players in particular, are struggling with that renewed fact that they have now begun a much deadlier game than the one we ended in March, when the play where the players were anywhere from 4th to 6th level, and some of them were on the verge of becoming 7th level, which really attests to the tragedy that that game had to come to an end, actually. Um, but it did so, we're back at, back at the beginning now. We're back at first level. And uh, it's, it's a real slog. It is a real slog. And, and one of the things I've been doing is we have instituted a dice cam for the new game. And most of the players are complying with it. And the ones that can't are using the online roller on Discord. And we're using, I think we're using this Dice Parser. So with the cam, I've been rolling... I have a camera set up over my dice tray, and I'm using two cameras, one for myself and one that I switched to for the dice tray. And we're doing that because one of the things we resolved after the breakdown of the two and a half year long game was the remoteness of playing was contributing to some of the problems we were encountering. So I said, we must solve this problem. And I think one of the problems was people were talking over each other. The game is literally becoming a very individualized game where you're sitting in your room alone, or I was sitting at my table alone, and I'm, uh, I'm speaking from the player's perception. I'm literally playing with just the dungeon master, and I'm just waiting for my turn to talk to the dungeon master and my turn to roll. What's missing with, with the online game, at least in, in uh, our experience, because maybe this isn't as much of a problem for other groups, or maybe it's not as much of a problem for younger people who are much more used to the online environment, just in their daily lives. But the feeling to me was, I felt like I was playing with each of the players, for sure. But I got the sense that the players were really only engaging with me. They just wanted to engage with the dungeon master. So by going to the camera system, it solves a couple problems. It doesn't solve that problem necessarily of just engaging with the Dungeon Master, but it does solve the problem of people talking over each other because you can literally see on the camera when someone's still talking or when they're thinking. I also think it, it creates more of a sense of community because now instead of just waiting to hear the DM's voice, you're actually not zoning out 
while the other players are playing with the dungeon master, while they're talking or role-playing or doing their roles, you literally have something to watch. You're watching their face on the camera. And then when they switch to their dice cam, it is really exciting to get back to watching the roles on the table. I have to admit, this is a an innovation of mine, and maybe other people are doing it, but we're a group of old schoolers. We don't like the online dice rollers. We have a ton of dice. We want to roll our dice at the table. So about two, maybe a year and a half ago, after introducing the dice parser, we got away from it. I just said, you know what, honor system, if you want to roll at the table, roll at the table. So that's what we started doing, except for initiative, because uh, I believe initiative should be the most public of roles. But now we've returned to rolling at the table. Uh, so then I decided that rolling at the table was isolating everybody. So instituting the dice cam is a, a great innovation. And I, I think it. I think we are creating more of a tabletop experience now. Now, to address the problem of the players just playing with the Dungeon Master, it, I've insisted on having a party caller. Uh, I am insisting, I, I'm giving very strict rules about even how we do a role play scenario. When, I when the party would go into an inn or a place to buy something or just engaging with an NPC in any kind of dialogue, captives, whatever the scenario might be, certain players have very strong personalities and strong ideas of how they want to play, and they would just go ahead and, and right away engage in the role play activity. And I would just go along with it, but it, it occurred to me over time as the as the former games started to break down because of lots of problems, that that's not really how you should play. This is a game, and you're playing together as a team. So I, uh, I advise that I want them to treat all encounters like they treat the melee. And in the melee, I, I, at least how I run it, and I'm sure a lot of DMs do too, when you set up the melee after you roll for surprise, you allow the players a few minutes to a minute or two to consult amongst themselves about the scenario and how they might want to conduct the battle, if it's going to be a melee, a combat, I should say. And then you get to declaring actions, and then you go from there round to round. And after the first round, I generally don't allow a lot of group discussion. I give them a minute or two to consider the scenario, then we go right to declare actions, and from then on it's just declare actions, roll initiative, declare actions, roll initiative. But when you do role-playing encounters, the tendency is for the players just to speak out. They, they, they move away from the team game and go more to an individualized game. So I've advised them to go back to the team game. So whenever I set up a scenario, I, I'm discouraging them to just blurt out and role-play, at least at the initial start of it. I, I, I've advised them to look at their dump stat charisma and strategize who who really should be the one talking to the uh, NPC. Are you always using the best uh, strategy when you engage NPCs by letting everyone just blurt out their their um, thoughts? Because I'm rolling reactions. Uh, I said, remember, we are playing a game, and you do have ability scores. And I have never role played where I allow the convincing nature of someone's dialogue to influence the reaction that I I give back. I always roll reaction rolls, and I do it for this reason. There are a lot of people who play this game, and some don't like to role play, and I have that in my group. Some really don't like to role play. They just want to roll dice and all, but they don't mind engaging with NPCs. They just don't want to role play or be clever. They just might want to say, well, I just want to ask them this. So how could I reward the actors in the group, the ones who really get into the role play? Why would I reward them and say, man, you always make convincing arguments and punish the ones who don't role play well? Just like in Melee, why would I, uh, why would I just say the fighter's always going to hit and the magic user's always going to miss because the fighter's a better fighter? We roll to see what happens. So I roll the reactions. I always roll the reactions. And that way it's fair. The guy who's not as good a role player, he has just as much a chance, based on his ability score of charisma, of succeeding in the role play as does the um, 
person who's a good actor who incidentally might have the lowest charisma on the on the paper because they even though they're great role players they are maybe a power gamer and they, they just want a charisma they always want the charisma to be the lowest stat so in my game charisma is actually kind of important so they're doing this now they are getting together and they discuss what they're uh, how to approach a, a, a an engagement uh, with a, an NPC. We're not perfect. We're not perfect. We just had a scenario the other night where I felt like one player was just resorting back to engaging right away. But it was late. We started the game late. It was getting near 11 o'clock. The other players didn't really seem to have the energy left in them to care too much. So as the DM reading the room, quote unquote, reading the digital room, I just let it go. People were, people were complying at that point. They were happy. I think they were fine with him just taking over the role play and just so we could move it along. So that, that you know, you got to have balance. That's the only thing with DM. You have to have balance. You can't always stick to what you want to do or what you think should happen. You have to adjust based on the scenario. But in general, when we're having really important encounters, I want the group to take it just like a, a combat scenario, strategize your response. I, I also reminded them of the old TV show, which was made into a movie, The A-Team. And each person on The A-Team had their role, and one of them was the face, the guy who played face. And his role was to engage. And I said, look at your charisma scores and have a face. Who's the face of your party? You should uh, channel your discussions with NPCs through the face. And that's hard for some of the other players to do grasp but they when you put it in terms of a game hey we are playing a game and you want to strategize to win every scenario whether it's combat or just a role play and then they it's then they, it's like oh a light bulb goes off you're right because this you know sometimes your good role players are also good strategy people and they like that you like, yeah i'll ask my cleric who has the best charisma to ask the npc these questions and then after the first thing you know, well, the way I do it is after the first initial uh, banter between the face and the NPC, then it's okay for the other players to start chiming in. I no longer roll charisma rolls because if, if the NPC ends up liking or responding favorably to the initial inquiries from the face, I assume he has a feel-good for the rest of the group. Unless, of course, someone in the group deliberately starts becoming hostile, then I will do an additional role later. So anyway, that, I'm getting into the, wood, the, to the weeds here. Let's get back to the main point. We're back at first level, and I introduced the dice cam and all these other strategies to make it feel like we're all together in a room. And it's been successful. I, I, didn't, want to talk, I didn't want to talk about it too much since we rebooted in May. Because we are only going every other week now, so we haven't had a lot of sessions. But uh, but the game's getting exciting, and we've had a few bonus sessions, and that's good. As a DM, I like that, when people are like, you know what, maybe we ought to have a bonus session. Um, this, this is a great session. I, I really don't want to wait two more weeks to continue. That's good. For me, I'm like, yeah, all right, things are going great. So the fact of the matter is that we've been doing it for three months uh, that would be uh, six sessions, May, June, July, every other week. That would be about six sessions. And, and we have had only about six sessions. We missed a few for reasons, but then we've had a few bonus. So we really only are only six sessions into this game. And the frustration is the one player in particular, he just has bad luck. I won't say who it is, but he was playing Quan the Monk in, in the first version of this game. And he's playing Gronk the half-orc fighter in the second version. And he we started making B characters because they're low level and, a, and one character already is dead and a couple others have dropped below zero hit points and need the seven days rest. So I said, let's, uh, let's go back even further to old school play the way Gary used to do it. And instead of the party sitting around for seven days twiddling their thumbs, uh, in the in the town, while events they're supposed to be impacting continue, um, which is a real drag on the game. It's not a drag in real life because you could just fast forward. Obviously, you just don't play those seven days. You just say seven days have gone by. You're ready to go back out. But things it drags the game because things have happened now. I've I've got to change things, whatever. So we said let's go back to the way Gary would do it. And you everybody have a B character. 
So while your uh, main character is either convalescing for seven days or in training for a week or two, the part the game doesn't have to in, in be suspended in our imagination. The next session, we could just pick up right where we left off, timeline-wise, but you're going to use the B character. So we had a B character scenario, and this poor guy who's playing, who played Quan, and Quan got knocked down to zero quite a bit, even at fifth or sixth level, because as you all know, monks don't have the greatest armor class, and they don't have the greatest hit dice. So that combination makes them very susceptible to being hit and brought down to uh, low hit points very quickly, especially against higher level monsters. So this poor guy, he's used to his character always being prone and on his back and out of the game for a while. So Gronk has had some pretty good success, though. He's been doing well with Gronk, the half-orc fighter. But his new character, the cleric, to introduce them into the game, we, we did a random quick scenario, and they the uh, three of them were attacked by two goblins. That's it. Two goblins with four hit points each. Four or five hit points each. All right, there were three of them. An illusionist, a thief... And a cleric. Now you would think. Now the other two characters were also the other two B characters were were uh, had just fought two goblins of their own, and then there was going to be then the two parties were going to unite to form what we're calling the B team or the bench. So there would be five bench players, but right now uh, the three uh, three of them were brand new, just rolled that night, and the other two had been rolled a couple weeks ago. So we wanted to, I wanted to come up with a little funny scenario where they would unite. And uh, I had the first two were in the woods. And this was based on a scenario we ran back in June when we, we first rolled the B character, the, the new character for the one player. Because his, his character in the A team died. So he needed a new character. And the other two fellas came on and wanted to participate. And that's when we decided that they would roll B characters. And we ran a little scenario. And then I eventually had the one guy uh, who needed a character. His character was fast-forwarded up to the main party. Whereas the other two B characters, that was a main character. The other two had their B character. They were lost in the woods. So we picked up the other night with the two existing B characters and the three new B characters. And the first two were lost in the woods. And they had an encounter with four goblins. And they did amazing. They charged the goblins and uh, they slaughtered them. So I had two of the goblins flee. And I continued with the two B character guys. And I'm like, you've been wandering through the woods, you're wandering through the woods. And I have to give credit to the other three players. They had to sit patiently for about 45 minutes, maybe an hour while we worked through all this. And then I said, you're getting near the river and you hear voices. And um, the voices suddenly stop. What do you do? And then I, then I switched it over to the three newbie characters. And I'm like, you guys were traveling up this river, the River Jarl. It's time for lunch. The, the captain piloted your, uh, Captain Nemo, Nimoy uh, piloted the, the riverboat to the to shore. You're uh, up on a log about 25 feet away from the riverboat. You're chatting. You don't really know each other. You're just having a conversation and you hear something in the woods. So right away, both sets of players, all five players think they know what's going to happen. And they're playing it very casually, like, oh, all right, we know what's going to happen. The other two are going to come out of the woods, and we're going to unite. So they're getting ready for this in their mind. They're already metagaming, because it seemed obvious. But what I had happen is the other two goblins ran out of the woods, the ones that had fled. So, uh, uh, But the goblins were surprised. So um, in the surprise round, the cleric charged, and the thief threw a dagger. The cleric charged, and even with his plus two, this poor guy is the one who played Quan the monk, and now he's playing Gronk the fighter, and, and now his B character is uh, a cleric. I can't even... Uh, Arvis, the cleric. So he gets plus two on the charge against, the, uh, I think, an armor class six for a goblin, six or seven. I think it's a seven for a goblin or six. So he needs a... If it's six, he needs a 12, and if it's seven, he needs an 11. So I, I, can't, I don't have the book in front of me, and shame on me as a DM. I should know a goblin armor class. I think it's six. So here it is. The poor guy needs a, a 12. So he chose his charge. He rolls, and we're using the dice cams. We could all see his roll, and he rolled like a four. So he misses. So the... The thief misses with his first dagger, but we're like, it, it, I said, the charge, 
doesn't get increased attacks in the surprise round. But I said, you could throw a second dagger because it's a surprise round. So the thief is like, okay, cool, that's awesome. He throws a second dagger, he rolls a 20, kills the goblin, said it went through the ear of the goblin. It was great. We were laughing. That one goblin's dead. And now you think, now you think this battle is pretty much over. It's three to one. Three to one. With the people down at the boat. I got a captain down there and a couple uh, boat deckhands, basically, for the riverboat. But of course, they're NPCs. I, I keep, they're just standing stunned watching all this. I, I don't want them to be engaged in the battle. So, time for the goblin. Time to roll initiative. Now, the illusionist declares he's going to do no action. Uh, I'm sure he's doing calculations in his mind that we've got this. I hate that phrase. You got this. We got this. But that's what he probably thought. Look, we got this, man. I'm not going to even cast. Now, I want to let you know, going back to my long explanation of why we did the dice camps and all, I've decided to just roll some of the to hit rolls publicly on the dice cam because I what's happening is I'm forgetting to turn the cam off. So after we roll initiative, I'm not switching the camera back to my other camera, which is on my face. I'm leaving it on the dice tray, and I'm sitting there rolling the two hits, and the players can see it. And why do I say that? Yeah, I, I pull punches once in a while. I've done it. I've done it. When, when the players are particularly getting brutalized over the course of several sessions, if one player in particular loses a character and then the very next session I roll and he loses another character, I have to admit it, I, I know I'm an awful DM. I know some people who play and listen to my podcast are going to be angry with me and have all kinds of epithets uh, under their breaths toward me, but I'll pull a punch once in a while just to keep the story going. I, sometimes I just want to keep the story going. You know, when you have to roll, when you have excessive player death, it does drag the game a bit. And we're playing campaign mode. Now, keep that in mind. We're playing campaign mode. We're not playing one-shots. One-shots, totally different beast. Uh, if I have TPK every time I want to run shot, one-shot, I don't care. It's fine. That's the game. Campaign mode, it, it does become a drag. Now, keep in mind, this was his B character, too. So it's a little less. I didn't care as much. So I rolled. for the. We rolled initiative. Declared action. Rolled initiative. The guy uh, missed on the uh, charge. And then he and then he lost the initiative. We he I think he rolled or somebody rolled and lost the initiative. I rolled for the goblin, critical hit, critical twenty. Now they just did a critical hit. I allowed them full full hit point damage for the weapon plus one. That's how I do my criticals. Just and that's just to speed the game up, um, especially at higher levels. When you have you know when your party's at a higher level and they're facing like thirty five orcs. And you're rolling 35 times every round for the first couple rounds. There, there's a you do roll a lot more 20s. You know, 20s come up a lot more than people think. Every 20 roll, you're probably going to get a 20. So uh, I just make it simple. Go into an additional chart and then another chart. Maybe it just gets too complicated. Drags the game. At low levels, it's, it's maybe funner to use a, a a critical hit or critical miss chart, but a fumble chart. I don't do it. It's just, if they fumble, I just have them fall down or lose their weapon. Make it real simple. But for critical hits, we just do max damage plus one. I think it's very fair. It's very it's very good. So, unfortunately, though, when you're first level and the, and the goblin's using a club, that's seven hit points. Guess what? Cleric had seven hit points. Boom. He's done. So, so... <laughs> That player sat and listened for one more round, but in the next round, the goblin charged the thief, and the thief charged the goblin, and the goblin killed the thief. <laughs> and not on a critical hit. But let's go back to this encounter. He, he lost initiative. He missed on the charge, which gets a plus two. He only needed a, he only needed a, I think he needed the 13 or the 12 to hit. Roll low. Second, uh, the goblin didn't get an attack in the surprise round, obviously, but in the and then he won initiative. The goblin won initiative, rolled the critical twenty, so that's good enough to hit armor class one. And, and the odds of the goblin hitting this cleric were really bad. I, I believe the cleric had a seventeen armor class. So I'm sorry, a four. Jesus, a four armor class. The goblin needed a seventeen or better to hit. The odds were stacked so against this goblin, yet the player, after the thief got killed, 
the player then signed off, and it was late. I mean, we were pushing. It was after 11.30 at night now on a, on a Wednesday night. He gets off, and he says, I'm getting really bored with low-level characters not being that effective against low-level monsters. And I, I, I could sense the frustration was oozing out of him, and I get it. I get it, but that is the game, and statistically, just statistically speaking... That battle of those three players versus those two goblins really should have just been not that difficult. I mean, each goblin had four hit points. The the other thing is the 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 illusionist didn't didn't do anything for the charge, the surprise round, or the second round. So after the charge round, the illusionist declaration was to do nothing. Once the thief went down, now it's two. Now it's one goblin versus the illusionist, and uh, uh you know, honestly. The battle had swayed. It now was the momentum had now as now with the goblin, one goblin versus illusionist. If you ever listen to Grog Talk uh, podcast when they did the magic user versus common household creatures, uh, a, a magic user can't even beat a squirrel. I mean, in a lot of instances. So this now now the battles turned the other way. And when the cleric went down, I said that the boat captain and the boat hands were now afraid and jumped into the riverboat to hide. So, um, fortunately for them, the person playing the illusionist had never played an illusionist before. And I think that's partly why he didn't declare actions. He wasn't familiar with his three starting spells. So we all kind of looked through the spells with him and we were kind of like, why don't you try hypnotism? And he's like, well, I can't speak Goblin. And I said, well, how many languages do you get? Keep in mind, we just rolled these characters that night. And we didn't go that deep. We didn't roll for languages or anything. And I said, you know what? I'll let you pick Goblin. But I, I allowed it because people usually pick Goblin. Let's be honest. I just said, go ahead. If you want to have Goblin as one of your languages, go ahead. That That's a pretty common language in a party of PCs. I, I don't know. Maybe you disagree with me, but I find a lot of people pick Goblin. Elves usually have Goblin. I mean, elves do have Goblin, as do dwarves and some other character types. So I said, yeah, you want to make Goblin one of your languages. Go ahead. So, um, and he only got one language, because he, he made intelligence his dump set as the illusion, as the illusionist. So he picked Goblin. He did the hypnotism. It worked. He then tried to kill the Goblin under hypnosis, which breaks the spell, of course. Uh, but he did damage it pretty badly. Then we went to another round um, of melee. Uh, I think the goblin now rolled low and missed the very vulnerable illusionist. And at that point, I just wanted to end the battle. Um, and I thought it was pretty ridiculous that the captain of the boat would just sit there and and not do anything. So while that next round, at the end of the next round, I had the captain come from behind the goblin and kill the goblin. Yet the frustration's there. The one player is just frustrated. Now, keep in mind, he only dropped a zero. He had seven hit points. The club did max damage plus one. That's seven. He's at zero. And the thief, miraculously, was only dropped to zero, too, when he got hit. I think he had five hit points, and the club did five. So in my game, if you go to zero and you get clerical healing, there's not even a weak rest. You're just back. You're, back. You're just unconscious until you're healed. But you might say, well, there was no cleric. He was down. But then they reunited with the other two B characters after the battle. That was my trick. You came through the woods. You see that this battle took place. You reunite. You reunite. So that cleric, uh, whose name is Helmet or something? Friedhelm. Friedhelm heals the other cleric, brings it back. Then he goes and heals the thief, brings him up. And then the healed cleric can provide more healing. So it really wasn't that big a deal, but I, the player was frustrated. He, it is frustrating. It's frustrating to be a new employee in the workforce, and you don't do well, and you lose your job. Now, I hope most of my listeners never experienced this. I, I didn't either. I can't think of any instance where I lost a job for underperformance. But it does happen. People are young, inexperienced. They're the first to get laid off. They don't. They take a job. They weren't really ready for it. You fight a goblin. You it. Uh, I mean, I hate to make this analogy actually, because really, a first level one first level cleric or fighter should kill a goblin. And I'm gonna say should. You really the odds are not in the goblin's favor. 
But like, it, it was too much. It was really, this one came down to luck. It just came down to luck. You could be perfectly qualified for a new job, but you're not that, no, you don't know the commute that well, and you get unlucky. You come in late the first couple times just because you're not used to it. And then you resolve, I, you've been told you can't be late again. So I'm getting the luck. And you resolve in the next three days, you're in all the time. And then the next day, there's a uh, jackknife truck on the highway and you're an hour late for work and they fire you. That was bad luck. You were, you were able to do the job, but something happened. Bad luck. The cleric should have killed that goblin, but he rolled low. He, well, he didn't even get his second attack because he lost initiative. Which is another point about D&D, especially at the lower levels. People don't, I mean, I, I think that you do. Initiative is the game in a lot of instances. Initiative is the game. If you lose initiative, and, and especially when you're in a melee and you lose it three or four times in a row, that's a killer. It's a killer. When your hit points are starting to get low, uh, me, the initiative role is one of the most exciting roles in the whole game. It, as a, a melee wears on and everyone's getting down to low hit points, it's pretty much who's going to get the first uh, a chance to attack. And that initiative, it's, it can be a killer. And we do group initiative, per the rule. We don't roll D10s and add weapon speed or roll D10s and go... No. It's group initiative. The simplicity of the original game works for me. I, and I know it doesn't work for others. I've heard that even maybe Gary didn't use it that way. I don't know. I really don't know the truth of the matter. But I do know um, I do know Ernie, when I played with Ernie Gygax Jr. at a con, a Dave Con in 2022, he did have us roll the individual initiative. And I like that. I, I adopt that at the cons. I think that works really well at the conventions because the people don't really know each other or whatever. But I use group initiative and it's an important role. And I do know other DMs use it too. Uh, uh, the Emperor James that did at DaveCon last year in the tournament is group initiative. So anyway, the point is commentary on low level play. Uh, it's exciting. It's it's the most exciting time of the game from levels one to three. But it can be frustrating. I kept joking with the players that you guys were a few rolls away from having a TPK. From one of two goblins. Because the first goblin got killed in the surprise round. The second goblin, he took out the cleric, but then he took out the thief. And boy, if that illusionist didn't decide to cast, and, and the goblin failed his saving throw, uh, they they would have they would have had, it would have had a TPK there, a mini TPK, because the other two B characters were off in the woods. Anyway, that's my commentary, low-level play. So what I propose, there is a conclusion to this 30 minutes later. I've proposed on the Discord, I'm very flexible, I said, you know what, maybe we ought to dump the critical hits and misses, at least for low levels. And that would go both ways, of course. They, they know, my players know, if, I'm, if it's going to get dumped, that it doesn't apply to them, then it's not, they're not going to get it either. Like the, the, and that's something to take out of the game, because when the thief threw that second dagger and he rolled that 20... That was an instant kill. That was five hit points of damage. Like I said, four hit point goblin. And I had a great description that it went in its one ear and it flew straight through his brain and came out the other side. I don't think that could actually happen in real life. But it's fun. And I had uh, the brain matter of that dead goblin get all over the cleric who was there attacking the other goblin. So it was really funny, right? Uh, and then the way I described the critical hit against the cleric was... The goblin leapt in the air and came down right on his head and, and crushed his head into his shoulders and he toppled over. But he wasn't dead. He was only at zero. And in the previous battle, the two B characters versus the two goblins, there was a critical hit there too. And it was the same thing. I had the, the, uh, the head get crushed down into the, the body. And it just... The other... Uh, yeah. So anyway, it's just... Uh, Crit, critical hits can be fun. They can be fun, but I'm willing to take it out. It doesn't bother me either way. I only use them because players like them. Personally, as a DM, I'm fine with not using them, and I know other DMs who don't use them. They're not in the game per the rules, uh, and I think people just run them because other people like them. 
So that's my commentary on uh, the the trials and travails of the low level character. It it I can see it gets frustrating, but the players who get frustrated by by it need to ask themselves, do I really like playing this game? Not are there ways we could change the game to make it easier, or can we just start at a higher level? You know, there's there's nothing for it. There's no way to control the fact that the cleric didn't hit on the charge, lost the initiative, and the thing got a critical hit against it. That is, that's nothing about the rules that caused that to happen. There's nothing about the character abilities or armor or weapons. That was just dice. That was just dice that he rolled, and then I rolled one of them. So anyway, that's it. You got to have a strong constitution <laughs> to play D&D because if you're not willing to cycle through A character to the B character to your C character at low level, well then, maybe you don't like AD&D. Maybe you ought to play a board game. So that's it. That's my commentary. On to a reading. So I just re-listened to the last segment there to make sure uh, it was okay, see if I needed to do any editing, and uh, a little mistake in there where I, I forgot something, I had to correct myself, but I'm going to leave that in, that's fine, it's conversational. I got that, I, I said that he had armor class 17 when I was actually looking at the two-hit column, the, the, the number needed, but anyway, that, that's just normal uh, speaking mistakes, I'll leave it go, but I did pick up on a couple things. I said that the player playing Quan and Gronk uh, you know, Quan was constantly getting knocked down, but Gronk was doing fine. Uh, I did forget to add that on Monday night session with the A characters, I forgot Gronk. This is the reason why we had to make the B characters for the rest of the party. Gronk got stung by a killer B. I'm, I'm running some monsters out of the basic book, which I think I talked about a while ago on the podcast that there's some monsters in the basic book. I think I put it up on the Actually, I think I put it up on the Grog Talk Discord, uh, and then somebody had to correct me. Of course, everybody's got to correct. You always got to be corrected when you when you don't when you're not accurate. You know, if you're not 100% accurate uh, in the online forum world, someone will insist on complete accuracy of of thought. So I said there are a number of monsters that didn't carry over to A, D, and D, and uh, I was promptly. Uh, uh, corrected, you know, uh, oh, well, what are you talking about? The basic, mon it came out after the Monster Manual, so you are obviously an idiot, and you don't know what you're talking about. But I did defend my position, because what I meant, and the reason why my segment is called the basic to AD&D muddle, which would be chronologically not correct if you're looking at publishing dates, what I mean when I say things don't carry over from basic to AD&D, I'm not talking about TSR and the authors of these books and the chronological order in which they were made. No, I'm not talking about all that because that's really irrelevant to players, um, especially players who came of age in the game in the 80s and not in the late 70s. If you were... 11 or 12 in 75 or 76 you probably went from ODD to AD&D to basic and back then to AD&D but if you started playing the game in 81 or 82 I was only 10 in 81 I didn't know anything about OD&D, Lake Geneva, Gary Gygax, uh, Wargaming I didn't know anything about any of that my friends got the red box and we started playing basic. That's how we started playing the game. And for the people who came of age in the world's greatest decade, even greater than uh, the decade when Augustus Caesar, Caesar brought peace to the entire Mediterranean world, um, which would be after the Civil War, uh, the 1980s were the greatest decade that mankind... It's the peak. It's the height of humanity. So for us, I was only 10 in 81. I was only 9 in 80. I wasn't playing D&D in, in 80. I wasn't online. I didn't fire up my cheap laptop computer and browse the internet 
to learn all about this game. Someone brought the Red Book when I was about 11 or 12. I was really 12. I was more like 12 going on 13. So we're talking like 82, 83. And even though these books have been out for a while, you know, we're kids. Our parents didn't play the game. We weren't getting this all handed off to us as this great family tradition. Our parents thought the game was stupid. Okay? Some parents thought the game was satanic. My parents didn't think that, neither did my friends. They just didn't think the game was very interesting. They weren't going to play it. My, my parents didn't even like to play games. I mean, we played Monopoly, and my dad liked to play chess. That was it. My mom liked to watch soap operas. So, basic. Then we moved on to AD&D. So, in our experience, there are some monsters in AD&D. In basic, if you want to be uh, public publication accurate, that were new to the game, that were not in the monster manual, but God forbid, maybe they were in OD&D. I don't know, and maybe someone does know, but I don't know because I didn't play ODD. So I don't know if the Killer Bee, which is not in ba uh, the monster manual, but is in basic. So for me, it didn't carry over, but for others, it was new, whatever. It doesn't matter, but to me, it's a carryover. There's uh, other monsters too, like the crab spider. So anyway, I put the killer bee in there. It's a great monster. It's one half hit dice. It's a good monster, but it's a save versus it's a save or die versus the stinger. Well, I forgot on Monday night, Gronk got stung by the killer bee and he failed a half hit point monster, a half hit point monster with like two hit points, and, and I forgot this poor guy's character failed the saving throw. So uh, now. I look, taking the wording of the crab spider, which says specifically in the basic edition that the poison takes, uh, I forget, 40 to 60 minutes to kill the player, maybe a little longer. I think it's up to 60, up to six turns. So I, I presented that to the players. I said, look, guys, I, I'm, I'm with you guys. Save or die isn't always fun. Sometimes it's fun. Like, if you get bit by the rattlesnake, that that's fun. I put the rattlesnake in, by the way, the large rattlesnake. I don't believe that's in the monster manual, but it is in basic. So I say to them, you know, uh, I, I, can't, I can't let the guy have an automatic survive here. It, it is save or die, but it doesn't have to be save or die immediately. What do you say? Would, would a killer bee stinger be worse, faster acting, or slower acting than a crab spider and they said yeah it's probably slower acting i said what does it sound like it would take twice as long they said yeah twice as long and they even helped me i couldn't even figure out twice as long instead of 1d4 plus two or whatever we we i'm like let's just make it 1d8 and they're like no nah, that wouldn't be you have to be 2d4 so i rolled i didn't tell them the roll i didn't tell them how long the guy's gonna live but they did have a druid so i had him do a wisdom check and he's like he was like, "Yeah, man, you better check that sting out, man. That that could be deadly. You 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 could die from that. Like that's serious shit, man. You did not drew it is rather like this. He's like, man, yeah, oh yeah, man. Like that's a serious wound. So the magic user volunteered to run with this fighter, with poor this guy who's upset about his character getting killed against the the B character getting killed against the goblin, gets him to town." within the time frame because they literally were two hours out from the city and if they ran the whole way back then they obviously reduced the amount of time so the way i did i did some calculations i did a random roll if they had a random encounter with lights out but they didn't get the random and they were able to get him into the and then we rolled round by round how long it took for them to get him to the church for the church to get down the cannon the cannon did the slow poison we even did it by segments how many segments did he need and then after he slowed the poison we allowed the last few minutes of the before he was real, literally down to about five minutes before he was going to die well because of slow poison i i allowed that to go a little longer uh the cleric uh the magic user signed a document um indebting the um party even more to this church uh for healing purposes uh now they're now there's something like 1600 uh, gold pieces in debt. He signed that they would pay it, and they did the neutralized poison. But I said, as a consequence, uh, I'm going to treat it like zero, going under zero hit points. I said there can't, you can't just, you know. Uh, anyway, so that's how we're treating it. He's now on seven day convalescence. That's why the player 
was frustrated two days later, his B character went to zero. So there you go. A little context I kind of dropped, but to be fair, that's what happened. It happened within two days. Anyone would be frustrated if that happened. Anyone would. Well, not anyone. One of our players does not, literally does not care if his characters die. The other thing I forgot to mention is the goblin. To make the goblin uh, who killed the cleric, then the thief, to make it even more interesting, I forgot. The illusionist purchased a hound when he was buying his equipment. He purchased a dog or something, a hound or a rot. He said it was a rottweiler. The goblin killed that also. So the goblin killed the cleric, then he killed the thief, then he killed the dog. And that's when the illusionist was like, holy moly, I'm going to have to do something or it's going to kill me. So there's a little, little tidying up the previous segment. On with the show. So lo and behold, before I get to the reading, I with the, with the addendum I put onto the first segment, I realize I have basically recorded a 40-minute plus show. And by the time I add the jazz reverb music, um, which at the end could be another four or more minutes, I'm at, I'm out I'm out of a show. That's the show. So that's the first show of August. I've recorded this on August fourth, and my goal is to get it out on August fourth. But we'll see if that happens. Uh, I will try to get another show in probably Monday or Tuesday night. Probably well maybe Sunday night, because after that I got the long drive the long drive to the university of north texas with jazz reverb my son will be going to the university of texas school of music where he's going to be an amazing jazz trumpet player he's going to learn all about jazz uh, and start preparing for a career in music and i'm very excited i'm taking a couple days to drive him from the great uh area of the mid-atlantic near near the capital of the country my empire and the grog empire through uh, Virginia, Tennessee, Arkansas, into Texas. But then, after I help him move into his dorm, I'm taking the whole next week off from work, and I will be driving through Oklahoma, New Mexico, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, then down into Missouri. That's going to be a six-state tour of states I have never visited. By the end of that trip, and then of course I'll drive home through states I've been in, I will now have visited, after this trip, it will be 44 of the 50 states in the United States. And I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good. I'm 52, so I think that's pretty good. I would say the odds are in my favor to complete the full visiting, the full, the full list, I should say, all 50 before I die. I have a shot at it now. When you get to over 40 uh, states visited before you're 60, I think that's a good chance. I, I think that's a good chance to get to them all. So that's what I'll be doing. So uh, maybe I'll get this show out on a new show out on Sunday, just a reading. Uh, maybe I'll just do one reading. Then I'll come back the last two weeks, the last week and a half of August. I'll try to get a third show out. I think I'm going to do a little Loader versus Loader, my final character assassination, and another reading. So that's going to be the show for August. Hope you're enjoying it. Uh, a good discussion today but amongst myself about AD&D and the challenges of a low-level character. And the excitement of it all as well. I, as the DM think it's exciting and I do try to remind my players when they get frustrated that their characters die I do remind them that about 80% of the characters I play die the dungeon master's characters die all the time all the time and I have that those darn players have killed 50 times as many of my characters as I've killed of theirs. So I don't know why they get so upset about the whole thing. So anyway, that's it. That's the show. Don't forget to explore the many worlds in your own mind.
Thank you. 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 Thank you.